1: Mon Garcons a Blue. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Banner. And today I feel French. As Infantino may be wanting to say this weekend. But yes, welcome to the AFDN Soccer Show. There's still time. Broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. And of course I am cock-a-hoop because of how the football results went this weekend. We're going to get into World Cup chat. It's just Steve and me for this show. Zach is back, but I don't know, he said something, Steve, about wanting to spend time with his family. Like he's a politician that? that's disgraced or something, but...
2: <laughs>
1: um, But yeah, he, he got back last week, so we're giving him a little bit of extra time off so that he is spending some time on his first weekend with his family. He hasn't seen his wife and kids for a couple of weeks, so... We will get him back on the midweek show, and we will talk about his trip then. He could have popped in just for a, a little bit of a, a chat tonight, but I, I wanted his first appearance to kind of be chatting about the show. And Steve and we were chatting about this, and we really wanted to just get a quick podcast. For us, a quick podcast. For other people, probably, Steve, though, a normal length podcast. (laughs) Probably about an hour, where we we want to look at the World Cup quarterfinals, because we both enjoyed them so much, and just so much to talk about. I also had a little bit of audio I want to bring you in part three from Ishmael Coney, who is departing CF Montreal. After and a very else. good, well, yes, the the sinking ship, as I said last week, were well, the last person in Montreal. Just turn out the light, please. So we'll bring you that in part three. But the fir- first two parts, we're, we're going to talk World Cup. But before we get into any of that, though, Steve, we want to start off, obviously, by paying tribute to Grant Wall, the American soccer journalist who sadly passed away this week just at the age of 49. Looks like it was from a suspected heart attack. Nothing has been confirmed yet. He'd mentioned a couple of days before that that he had had really bad bronchitis. He'd been given antibiotics and some cough medicine and thought he was feeling a bit better, but had talked about, like, tightness of chest and things not feeling right in his chest and then sadly passed away in the the Press Tribune on Friday night. During the Argentina-Holland game, obviously, Steve, very shocking news. And our, our thoughts are, are with his wife, Selene and, and his family and all his friends at, at this time.
3: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of outpouring of, you know, of love and well wishes and condolences on Twitter. It was just like it never it seemed to never end. There's a lot of people across the world that were um, spent, sending their love. Um, just... Probably the most well known guy, a uh, soccer journalist. Uh, he, he covered other sports, but I think his passion was soccer. Yeah. Um, and like he even, uh, there was, because uh, he did the first cover for LeBron James in basketball as well. He was the one that did I it. I saw when he was that. In high school. Yeah. And, and LeBron spoke about it as well. Uh, but yeah, he, but he could have stayed in that sport if he wanted to, but he wanted to move on to soccer because apparently he, that was his like, number one love. So, and I mean, yeah.
1: his passion shone through. I mean, any time you hear him yeah. talk, he, he was with Sports Illustrated for years and he was an analyst on Fox Sports for, for years as well. And just such a well-known name. And the fact that the outpouring of condolences and grief is around the world just shows you how well-known he was and how much he, he touched people. It's it, it's crazy to to think that he's passed at such a, a young age. I mean, we... We had him on the show once, back in 2015, I only met him a couple of times, and that was the, I think the first time of me actually speaking to him, was at the Women's World Cup here in Vancouver. Har and me kind of ambushed him a little bit, as Har and me are wanting to do when we (laughs) seem to get together, and we've got a chance to speak to people, and we just, we said to him, do you fancy chatting for a little bit for, for the podcast? And like, being the kind of guy he was, he's like, what do you want to speak to me for? Because we, yeah. we were we were actually at an event the day after the World Cup had finished for America's win, and it was a big thing, and all the American players were there, and you could speak to anyone, but I wanted to get his take on it as a, a respected journalist, a guy that had travelled all over Canada for the tournament, and it, if anyone wants to check that out, it was an episode 119. It's just a, a quick five-minute chat, but... He just spoke about his love for Canada and the tournament and just the love of the game. And he was always yeah. a big champion of women's soccer. And it he was always a guy that was very keen to help the up-and-coming journalists. If someone had a question, and you've seen so many folks speak about that. this Oh, good, yes, yeah. It's like they're just saying, look, you just had to get in touch with him if you wanted some guidance. And he was always there to to kind of help with that and it's a it's a huge huge loss to the but even like helping
3: people like uh there was a there's a football journalist whose mother was a big fan of uh soccer or football and uh when Grant Wall found out he made sure that she had tickets uh to a, a certain game or something like that like he made sure, he arranged it for her so um he just he was just, just there to promote the sport for everybody basically and it's, yeah it is a sad loss of course after that happens you know it doesn't help with that his brother had that initial uh, Instagram post, but everybody was going into conspiracy theories. Yeah, um, you got people saying the Qatari government killed him, um, and who knows that well, that still could be. Then you got the COVID people saying that oh, did he have how many oh. vaccinations? They got, and then this, and yeah. it just got bottled up with everything. I
1: That's I want to say something on that because this is this just pisses me off so much just now I, I could probably cue my angry bastard thing here but i won't because we're obviously doing a, a tribute to grant but every time someone dies these absolute assholes are jumping in the the comment sections where folk are grieving and leaving condolences and just yep. saying oh died of covid died of the vaccine and yep. it's like please just fuck off and and go and get the mental health help that you clearly need that you're just jumping into any time that someone died just to to leave this. Yeah. It just pisses me off so much. And it just let people grieve, let people remember the guy without all this nonsense. It just does my absolute head in.
3: Yeah, but it, 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 it just, like, when I'm reading it, I hate having those pop up. Like, I'm reading people condole like, honestly, sincere condolences mm-hmm. like at this point who cares how he died right like it doesn't yeah. like for some people yes it doesn't matter but for the most part it's just remembering the guy at that point and just yeah. remembering all the all the good things he did like people mentioned that that he you know he ran for he tried to run for FIFA president that yes. one year and just to get in and, just to and, highlight and, the
1: corruption yeah. in
3: yes, FIFA yes exactly and... So and... He was never afraid of the people that were up top and and that's the thing like people latched on to the fact that he he wore the rainbow t shirt and he wasn't allowed in the stadium yeah. or something like that. And then they use that as the as a goal. around to well, it, whatever comes out of it, comes out of it. But at this point, when he passed away, nobody really needs to hear about, you know, all the stuff that's going on. Like, you you don't need to, like, let's just remember the guy for everything he brought to the table.
1: Yeah, and there's been so much misinformation as well because initially it was said, oh, when he collapsed at the stadium, he had to get taken to hospital in an Uber, which now his brother's posted tonight. That wasn't the case. He went in an ambulance because I thought, why would he go in an Uber? That's just weird. But no, he went in an ambulance and then friends and fellow journalists followed in an Uber to, to the yeah. hospital and, and stuff so it, the only thing is how that, quickly these things just get blown because there out. was an
3: article about like the, what the what happened actually went down in the uh, press room uh, there yeah was an I started to it.
1: read it and then I couldn't read it anymore it no, was, it, it was, it was, I find it, it really upsetting
3: it was upsetting, but they didn't go into graphic detail of what he was going through. Um, but they were just remembering, like the, they were actually talking about their own panic and everything like that. Mm. And so they didn't really delve into it, which was good that he didn't do that.
2: The oh, one the, the, one, mentioned... the
1: one I saw, I think oh, it was it? Okay, in the, yeah. I think I it was in the Times um, in England, and it was going into detail. Oh no, like, didn't, the I one I read I don't did... need to see that.
3: Yeah, the one I read did not go into detail. The one, that, the only thing they mentioned was that they didn't have a defibrillator. Yeah.
1: Quickly, very concerning, really. Yeah, because like Zach's told us some stuff from when he was there about it's really weird with the temperature. Because that one of the genuine reasons I didn't go over was I was worried for my health over there because I I just don't do well in the heat, and I've experienced it here. But when the heat dome was all I, I was really struggling, when it was that when the women's world cup was on it was a very hot june and i kept getting dizzy when i was outside and walking about and being active and doing stuff and like way back i was on holiday once in rome and the temperatures were like 35 degrees every day during the day and i really struggled to be out and about and doing stuff so i knew that i might not do well over there with it I can only imagine if you've come down with a bronchial infection and you're dealing with not just that heat, but what Zach has mentioned is it's so cold in certain places. Yes. Because they've cranked the air conditioning up.
3: Yes. And then and that's you're a, not that's a big issue. for that. Like I have asthma myself and um, I I I don't use air conditioning anymore, especially in cars. Uh, because hopping out of a car and air conditioning mm-hmm. and going into the hot air and then coming back into air conditioning, it actually... For me, my biggest issues have always been spring and fall because of the change of weather. Like, and all of a sudden, it'll be warm, and then it goes damp. Or or that's why I, I think in the chat, I was asking, "How is it damp there? Because my mm-hmm. biggest my biggest uh, asthma attack as an adult was in London, actually, in England. Oh. Um, it just got damp all of a sudden. I was in a very hot room. There was, like, dancing going on. I went outside. It was very cold. And that change from there to there, and then it was damp, that gave me a, a really bad asthma attack there. Now, I didn't even bring my... Inhaler, because I usually don't have an inhaler on because I don't need it that often.
1: Well, what if Har's friends, a Swedish journalist, fellow i who's based in, in Sweden, had mentioned that there's so many journalists that's coming down with colds, flus, COVID over there just now. And to go from these temperatures one to the other, sometimes in the same venue, it's like roasting in one room and like freezing cold in the other. It's going to start to have an f- effect. Yeah, it does have an effect. And I, I don't know if folk have seen, but a second journalist actually died uh, at the World Cup on Saturday a Qatari photojournalist, Khalid al Mislam. And it's not been revealed how he died yet, but I mean, just c- crazy, crazy stuff.
3: Well,. Uh- I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things I've seen on Twitter. But this, this gentleman here, the people are saying that the current government purposely killed him in order to get the like uh, the make it seem like Grant Wahl the only not the only person that died. Oh, like the people are just saying that. Yeah, it's just unbelievable how people will tie everything into conspiracy theories.
1: Oh, I I liked how FIFA honored him. At yes. the game, they they put the thing up on the, the big media. screen. Well, we don't it, know if it
3: was full FIFA, but it was the FIFA media department or whatever. Yes, the I, I think
1: it, I, you'd hope it was full FIFA. For all the criticism, yeah. obviously, that Grant laid at them over the years, but they had flowers and a picture of him at where his spot would be. And it's just crazy to yeah. to think that he that he's passed away. And let's say thoughts with his wife Celine, his family. And just his friends and everyone that loved him so much Just rest in peace Grant For
3: sure
1: So obviously there's there's no easy transition from that To to get into the rest of the show But we are going to talk about the the World Cup quarterfinals And we'll do that in this part and into the next part we'll, we'll look at two in this part We'll look at two in the next part And then look ahead to the, the semis And a couple of other little things as well But the semi-finals are now set, and it, it's felt, though, no Steve, win or lose, the one consistent thing is, no one seems very happy with the referees right now.
3: Yeah, uh, especially after, the, the funny thing was, is the the Argentina um, game against the Netherlands, yeah. Argentina was complaining so much, and I felt like it got away with so much yeah. in the game, especially one of the... The you know the one uh, we'll talk about it obviously in full detail but the one where the guy just hacked him down right in front of the Dutch bench Yep. and then he then he shot the ball into the bench yeah and he got a, like, a yellow card that should have been red card for him I and thought Adelaide that as and almost,
1: there was a handball in Messi that wasn't he didn't get a yellow card or...
3: I think the, I think they should be counting Argentina especially should be counting themselves lucky that the, the the referee was inept, basically, that a complaining about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with refereeing, and I, I read an interesting article, I think it was in The Guardian this weekend, where it said one of the big problems here at this World Cup is the officiating, which is crazy considering that you've got VAR, but there's only and so much that VAR can override as well. And,
3: and you've got the best officials apparently in the world. Mm-hmm. These are supposed to be the best ones, and, and yet you're having issues with it.
1: Well, let, let's look at Friday's quarterfinals in this part, because uh, certainly a lot to talk about from, from these games. And we'll start with Brazil and Croatia. And I, th- I think the 90 minutes were what I w- was expecting with Brazil trying to break down a resolute Croatian defence. It, it's not pretty to watch, and I, I've talked to. About this before, and we could talk about this when we talk to Morocco as well. But kind of feel it's an aspect of the international game that Canada needs to to kind yeah. of be better on. But well, we'll talk about more about that actually when we get to the Croatia game. But the, the Croatian keeper or the Moroccan game, the Croatian keeper in this, Dominic Livakovic excellent again. Yeah. Oh, That's I good. mean, it's the saves he was pulling out to keep his side in it. But then it looked. You felt if Brazil got the opening goal, that that was going to be it. That there wasn't a way back for Croatia. It was just, could they get it? And then we're into extra time. Stoppage time in the first half of extra time. And a moment of Brazilians, I would say. And as much as I hate Neymar, I've got to tip my hat to him. I, I think, for me, this is probably my goal of the tournament so far. I, there's a couple of other ones up there. But I, I just love this because... It seemed to come from nothing to to start with because he's just kind of standing there and he's not even really putting a burst of speed. And then he plays a couple of one-twos, gets the ball in the box, rounds the keeper. Now, the one-twos themselves were perfectly timed. Rounding the keeper was perfectly done. And then Neymar has the sense to hit it high into the roof of the net and not just low across the line because I I think a Croatian defender would have got a The Defender was there. Yeah, it was an absolutely magnificent goal.
3: Yeah, and there, uh, this, including with uh, his brilliance, I think that's the like the one mistake the Croatian keeper, um, yeah, Croatian keeper made because he should have stopped that. That yeah. if he had stayed on his feet instead of committing to stop stopping Neymar there, Neymar had nowhere to go. So that's where it was just odd, like the way he 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 kind of just he just was basically stood still there in front of Neymar and let Neymar around him. He should have easily been able to keep up and kind of round them out to the edge of, or whatever, or made them forced to do something else. Um, but overall, yeah, fantastic goal. You think at that point it was done and dusted. Like, yeah. like, uh, it, it, like I, it, it was hard to see Croatia come back from that. But of course, whenever we say, it, it's hard to see Croatia come back from something. They it, it always prove everybody wrong.
1: I mean, they're an absolutely a- amazing team. If, if you could clone, that fight in spirit that they show time and time again, oh, man. It's, I mean, they're just amazing. Bruno Petkovic, 117th minute. I mean, it was a deflected effort, and it was their first shot on target in the whole match. I think it might actually have actually been their only shot on target it's in the whole match. their only
3: shot. Only shot.
1: It's... Yeah, just a, i uh, a, a nice goal and obviously a little bit fortunate, but just the fact that they took it up and they, they had that shot and and then went to penalties, as soon as it went to penalties, I fancied them because they yeah. had that experience well, already under their belt against Japan. And Brazil,
3: although, you know, talk about all the skill I've seen in other tournaments like Copas and everything, they don't do well in the penalties. Mm. They're not a great penalty taker team. And I found like they telegraphed their penalties way too much. Some oh, of the shots they, yes. they they weren't even looking up to see where the goalkeeper was moving before they shot it. Like a couple, especially the early saves. Well, uh, Rodrigo the, 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 took
1: their first one and, and he, he had his, his head down. So nervous. Yeah. But he had
3: his head down. He didn't even look at the keeper to see yeah. which way he was moving because he could have adjusted them. So uh, that's the one thing that I say, like, why do you need to look at the ball when you're striking it? You should be good enough to not even... It's amazing, they look at the ball when they're... Uh, uh, it's always they look... When whoever looks down at the ball seems to always miss it horribly because uh, they're not paying attention to their surroundings, they're not feeling the ball with their foot. Um, and, and yeah, you're right that once the, the, the Croatian keeper... Seem to make the right guesses or seem to like hold on to his line. Somebody mentioned, I don't remember, it might have been Paul Dolan, I can't remember, on one of the local shows. He mentioned that the keepers having to stay on the line actually seems to help some of the keepers. It's like it does they feel like
1: there's been more saves than previous. Yeah,
3: because he, he, he mentioned that it, it, they don't have to like guess, they have to actually stay there, wait there, see which like wait till the last second and then move. And it's made it really effective for the keepers that have that you know good reactionary time and good stretch and especially the and the taller keepers so maybe it's got a big advantage people were saying oh it's yeah. gonna really hurt, uh, hurt the keepers it's actually helping them uh but overall yeah fantastic i how many I think Brazil missed quite a few penalties in there too right it was
1: it well was... it finished four two uh yeah. in the shootout and Livakovic saved two penalties they saved two against Japan as well. I tell you something that i I like about his reaction see when he saved penalties. He's not wasting that energy, the physical and the mental and the nervous energy, by over-celebrating. He just calmly gets up and walks away. And I like that because he's keeping his focus. He's not getting caught up in the moment where I think too many goalkeepers, they make a save and then they're celebrating like they've won it when there's still a long way of the shootout to go. I love that cool, calm approach for him. And it clearly pays off. But also Croatia's penalties were two down the middle. And yeah. two just excellently placed that a keeper is going to struggle to get as well.
3: Yeah, and that's the thing about uh, the Brazilian keeper. I think he's actually a better keeper, if I'm not mistaken, overall. Uh, I can't remember who he plays for, but like he was, he was just guessed. He wasn't even like thinking like like if he had just waited and uh, the, the last minute, the last second, he would have seen where the ball was going because it was the, the Croatian guys were they were telegraphing him too the shots.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, it's got them now to the semi-final stage. And fun fact, Brazil have now been beaten by the first European team they faced in a knockout round every World Cup since 2002 now. Oh,
3: so as soon as they defeat it, European. Yep, as soon as they get to the
1: knockouts and they're up against the European team, they're out. And that is just incredible when you think about it.
3: Yeah, and if you look at Croatia um, side, the if you look at the stats, possession equal, passing equal, passing accuracy equal. Uh, I don't know what the the you know the the other analytics show, but they seem to be like right on par. The only difference was that Brazil was getting way more shots on goal compared to what Croatia was doing.
1: Yeah, and again, the keeper was up to them all, so that sent Croatia through and i think many people's favorites my favorite my tip to win it brazil on the way out thankfully i did pick croatia when we were doing our draw um which i haven't had a chance to update the the standings off we'll do that for you, you on the will, show.
2: it
3: would be almost impossible for you not to win it
1: because i think i've got morocco as well
3: yeah you got morocco and i think you might have argentina or Brazil's well, got argentina
1: possibly actually because i had yeah. i had brazil argentina in one semi and I had France and Spain in the other semi, which is obviously out the window. But yeah, I don't know who
3: took France, but I know—I think I might have. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But I know I'm out because I had Germany. Spain and Germany and, yeah. and Germany. They were gone a long time ago.
1: Yeah. They were home before Zach. Yeah. <laughs> who, who'd have thought that? Um,
3: and, then, the, and then Manuel Neuer breaks his leg on the Oh, chair. I
1: know. Jeez.
3: Hasn't <laughs> been a good time for Bayern players? No. Bayern players.
1: So, Croatia, first team in the semi-final. They were going to be playing either the Netherlands or Argentina. And, I mean, this, on paper, should have been probably the, the quarter-final of the, the, the round. Well, um, I thought it would
3: be an easy run for Argentina. I'm surprised they had such a difficulty against the Netherlands.
1: Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Holland had a good qualifying. They seem to be back to their best. But they... They didn't have a tough group that they had to really get out of. They didn't have to really get out of second gear, really. But I mean this was a great game and some great aggro in it as well that we'll get to Argy Bargy, if you want to even call it that. And Argentina looked to be home and dry and coasting. Like there were two yeah. goals up, Molina in the 35th, and then a Messi penalty in the seventy third. I don't know how they let Holland back into this. They obviously feel the referee let Holland back into it, which we'll come to. But v- without two goals, one in the 83rd minute. But then, and this is right up there for me as one of the goals of the tournament as well, that free yeah. kick, everyone's thinking, oh, he's going to go for it. Like, jumping ahead to the England game against France, to get that free kick with the last kick of the game. And it's like, I don't think anyone had any thought that he wasn't going to go and try and get that in. Same in this. They thought they were just going to go straight with an attempt on goal lovely little pass inside and then just buried beautifully executed
3: Yep, yeah, uh, a perfect like i'm surprised more a lot of more teams don't do this like, i think the they might now the
1: you know what it's like there's all there's always something trendy in soccer whether it was putting the ball at a corner right as close to the the little circle as you could to still make it in in the corner area to putting the guy lying down behind the wall. There's always something trendy. So I wonder yeah. if it's going to be a, a new trend of these kind of free kicks, not on goal, but little passes inside. It's going to have to make defences be really switched on.
3: For sure. And then you got because you're already like putting a, a wasting a guy, like having him lying down behind the box as well. So you're you're already like taking one person and you got the four people in the box, in the, in the wall that those people are done. So that you got five, so you got a lot more free players than mm-hmm. the other team does. So you can easily do something like that.
1: And went to penalty shootouts. Argentina won it 4-3 in penalties. And Emiliano Martinez, another great goalkeeping performance. He's such a, a good goalkeeper. I still find it baffling that he's just with a club like Aston Villa. With all respect to Aston Villa, like y- you'd think he would be at a more higher-profile club. I, yeah. I looked at his Wikipedia as well. 2015, seven years ago, he was on loan from Arsenal at Rotherham United. And now he's making big stops in a, in a World Cup semi-final or quarter-final like seven years later. It's crazy how wh- wh- players' where Rother- can change.
3: Where was Rotherham back Rotherham then? Rotherham
1: would either have been championship. I don't know if that was their championship season, but I think they were League One by that point.
3: Yeah, they were championship now, right? Yeah. They've,
1: been, yeah. they've so been they've been a bit of a yo-yo team. But it's yeah. like even just for a Rotherham fan to say, oh yeah, he was our keeper for, for eight games, mm-hmm. it's just kind of crazy to think that. A couple of things just to talk about the aggro in this game. So you touched on the ball getting kicked into the Dutch bench. I thought the Dutch reaction was actually quite subdued because yeah. there was no need for that at all.
3: No, it's uh, I, like I said, if this was like MLS or another league, I, well, I was definitely MLS. This would have been the, the tackle itself would have been red carded. Mm. That would have been red carded, and then the suspension on top of that from the extra games or whatever from kicking it into thing. Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm I'm surprised there wasn't more that came out of that, and and I'm even surprised that FIFA hasn't done anything since then. Uh. But I guess they don't do anything; they just leave it to the officials on the pitch.
1: So something I touched on last week's show that I hate is, seems to be the South American, or at least Uruguay anyway, kicking the, the penalty spot, which I, I think out of order. Something in this game which I also think is out of order, and I don't know where the hell the officials were while all this was going on, why are you letting the opposition players hassle the guy that's going up to take the penalty? Because, I, I, I don't know if you're even aware of this Steve, because a little bit was shown, but I read afterwards that there was a lot that wasn't shown by the cameras as the Argentina players for their last two kicks went up. There was two and I think on one occasion three Dutch players following behind him shouting abuse at him. And they got a third of the way with them before they yeah. were sent back. And it's like, where are the officials to stop that?
3: I wasn't at. I was. I was working while the penalties were going oh. on, so I was only to keep a side eye on it. So I couldn't watch it like head on. So I probably did miss it. I do remember at one point the referee running out from the box. I was wondering what, what's happened. Yeah, so I was was it was for that,
1: time. and it's yeah. like that needs to be like that is a no no, which is why I don't know if you've seen the photos either. After the winning penalty went in, some Argentina players are running away celebrating, and some are going right up to the Dutch players, going like with yeah. their hands to their ears and making gestures. It's because of the aggro that was going okay. on with that. I were, guess that was it. One of the Argentine players afterwards had said, every penalty when our guys were going up, these guys were shouting things at them. Now, shouting things, I think, is fine. But actually then trying to follow the guy up and doing it, that, to me, that crosses a line. And I've not <laughs> seen that before.
3: My thinking is that the Argentine players are just upset because they didn't think about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the kind of thing you'd
1: expect <laughs> from Argentina, I've got to say. When you
3: said... When you said that before, at first, when you because I didn't know anything about it, when you said it, I thought you were talking about the Argentina players. <laughs> That's what I thought you meant, that they were doing it.
1: No. And then some of the post-game comments, Messi and Martinez, they weren't happy with the Spanish referee Antonio Matu because of the time that he added on. And they, they said that he should never referee another game at the World Cup and that he was just playing until the, the Dutch equalised. I don't see that at all. And no, I, I I genuinely don't know what they're complaining about.
3: The ten minutes is very normal nowadays.
2: Yes, for
3: for for uh, added time on. So uh, I think I there. Messi didn't really go into it. Another player really went into it. I think on the TV broadcast. I remember seeing that.
1: Yeah, the keeper um, Martinez went went off. Yeah,
3: And so that's that's where I'm. I'm surprised these guys. These guys say, "Oh, we're going to be sanctioned." They they get away with it. I honestly, they don't. There's no sanctioning at all they can do whatever they want to the referees and say anything they want about it.
1: Well, it was hilarious reading those because of then what happened uh, the next day. But that's the first two quarterfinals covered. We'll be back with Saturday's two quarterfinals after song number 12 in AFTN's 2022 Festive 15. If anyone missed the last show, what we're doing for the month of December, no artist of the month, we are doing, I was going to say our, my a uh, favourite 15 tracks of 2022 as a homage to John Peel and his Festive 50 that I grew up listening to and loved so much. And I've got the, most of them from mid-70s onwards downloaded and I still regularly listen to them. So we've, we're instead of just the snippets of a, a minute, we're playing the songs in full. So we're going to be kicking things off with number 12 in the Festive 15 after this
4: hi i'm mike dean you're listening to the aftn soccer show
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on
2: CITR
1: Radio 101.9 FM and kicking off this part is number 12 in AFTN's Festive 15 for 2022 from Brooklyn, New York, three-piece girl band Thick and former Artist of the Month here at AFTN and that is a single taken from their sophomore album that came out in August, Happy Now, and that was Loser. And of course, there were some losers this weekend in World Cup action. We've spoken about two so far, with Brazil crashing out, the Netherlands crashing out. And the first match we're going to talk about from Saturday, saw Portugal crash out to Morocco. Youssef N. Nasiri, the goal-scoring hero in the 1-0 win, scoring a, a nice header three minutes be- oh. before half-time.
3: He skied on that one. It was like that, uh, similar to that Darren and goal against TFC years ago. It was was just got a lot of air on it. The the keeper and defender really didn't even play a, like almost make an attempt for the ball because he was just just so high up.
1: It it was another great defensive display from Morocco. And I I know I've seen a lot of folk criticizing teams like Morocco for playing defensively. And we, we touched on it on a previous show. If I'm a coach... And you're going up against a better team than you, of course you send them out defensively. Or you should be sending them out defensively. But Morocco went for it as well at the start. And the shot count was only 12 to 9 for Portugal in the end. And they both had three yeah. in target. So they weren't yeah. like overly defensive. They're just a very good defensive team. They've only let in one goal all tournament and focus saying, oh, that was to Canada. It was an own goal. Let's be honest here. So they scored it's still,
3: against... Still, re- in the record books, unless somebody hits the click button to expand the, oh, yeah. the scorebook, it's a still show one, one goal for Canada. I know. And I'm for just... me, it'll be Sam and Kubi that took the shot. Yes, That's all course. I'm going to
1: say. Especially if he comes back to be a white cap, which is some <laughs> of the rumours that are still going around. Um, but yeah, it was a, a great defensive display, and I touched on it in the first part, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more now. Genuinely, Canada needs to learn to play like this on the international stage. Oh, for sure. You can't just go gung-ho. If Morocco went all guns blazing, like Canada have done in, in their group games, you're going to get punished against a team by Portugal. You've got to be sensible. Now, I understand we might not have as good defenders and midfielders as some of these other teams to pull this off, and if you're playing three at a back, it makes it very difficult to do that. But that's then when you've got to have some tactical nuance. You can't have this tactical naivety of Formation fluidity. Yes. You've you've just got to be able to defend at the world class level, which is what it is at the World Cup. And I think this tournament will help John Herdman to kinda see that. And I think it'll make Canada realise, okay, we did really well. We've got things going offensively. Yeah, we maybe didn't get the goals, but they were clicking. But we have to just shore up this defensive side to our game. And they've got four years to work on that now. And if they're going to get tested at the Confederations Cup, that does definitely seem that something's in the works for 2025, whether it's that or whatever. But Mm -hmm. Copa America for 2024 looks like it's almost certain that Canada's going to be involved in that. And it's going to get played in at least the US, maybe also Canada. These are great opportunities for us to go up against, like, an Argentina, a Brazil, and if they have a European champion coming over, and practice that more defensive side of the game. I know it's not I, I pretty would, to watch.
3: Yeah, I would even say, like, leave Brazil and Argentina out of it. Playing against Colombia, playing against the Peru, mm. playing against the Chile. Chile, those are the teams that they have to play because that... They have to just get up to that level first before they can get to like playing against Argentina, and Brazil. So they have to get up to that the level above Concacaf, which is those middling teams in uh, in South America, like a Uruguay for another example yeah. of a team that they have to play to just prove themselves, and then and then the next step after that would be Argentina and Brazil to see how they play against those teams.
1: Because I mean, we've got to be brutally honest. The reason Canada. Don't play that way, is they're not used to having to play that way because when they're going up against most of CONCACAF, they don't need to, they hardly face shots in some games.
3: Even when you're playing two countries like like Trinidad
1: and Tobago, I know you'd think they would do that, but they don't. I I missed, I I can't believe I I missed doing that joke when I was talking about the FA Cup replay during the week because Dagenham and Redbridge were playing. And someone Uh-oh. made someone made the comment on Twitter, and I was like, "Ah, how, how did I miss that?" My brain's not not with it with all the World Cup stuff. But yeah, they need more tested. And in the past, they've maybe played a little bit more defensive against Mexico, but this year they didn't need to because yeah. they felt they could go toe to toe with Mexico. Yeah. So that is something that they need that test. And I saw John Herdman was did an interview with CBC this weekend. And he was talking about that they need to test themselves now against the top teams in the world over these next four years. For sure. And they've got to. They've got to get better quality opposition because playing these CONCACAF teams is not going to get Canada to where they need to be for 2026. Anyway, back to Morocco and Portugal. Talked about the the goal-scoring hero in this series, Bono in goal. Was the other hero for them. I mean, to, to a man, they were pretty much all heroes, I've got to say, but fantastic again. And it was certainly a beautiful day for Morocco with Bono playing that way. It was also a beautiful day to see Ronaldo crashing out and not starting again after his little hissy fit. Is it, there a coach Ronaldo hasn't fallen out with? Yeah, but the
3: coach doesn't seem to be, like you said, like. This coach doesn't seem to be upset about it or anything. No, because like he said he's boys, known
1: so. him for years and they've got a good relationship. Yeah. But yeah. we were talking about this on my East Five podcast this weekend. The way that Ronaldo is going out of the game is whether he's going to retire soon or not. I don't know. This is should be his last World Cup. Most folk would think.
3: Well, he's the, he said he hasn't retired for Portugal. He, he's probably his last World Cup for sure. Mm. That's what he mentioned. But, he, I'm, I'm assuming maybe he wants to play Euros one more
1: time. Yeah. He he's not exactly bowing out in a blaze of glory. Just the, no, the way just, that he's been carrying on.
3: Yeah, it's, it's odd. Like he's very much a Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Like he can seem like he has when he's around. Like uh, when he's playing the game with his teams, he seems to be like like an awful person, like in the games. But like if you watch his videos, like meeting kids and stuff like that, mm. he seems like the nicest guy ever. But it's just a weird. Maybe it's the mentality he gets when he's on the pitch. Uh, he just gets into. I don't know, the know if he challenges. feels he he's has to on.
1: do everything himself.
3: Yeah, because I think, I think that's I the think problem thinks,
1: with a lot of these guys.
3: Some people still think they're the super. They haven't. Nothing's changed. Like, uh, like not everybody could be a uh, you know Ibrahimovic where nothing has changed. And he keeps playing at the same level uh, all the time. And the, it, but Ronaldo definitely seems like he's slowed down, and and he he just hasn't. Seems like he hasn't read the memo yet. Unfortunately for himself.
1: I I think that was. Also as well, why it was so good when Ramos came on in that game against Switzerland and got the hat-trick. Because yeah. it's like, it's then saying to Ronaldo, hey, you you think that the team can't exist without you. We've just brought this young kid on and he's just scored a hat-trick.
0: Yeah.
1: So sometimes they need taken down a, a little bit. But I mean, he's such a good player. That's the, the frustrating thing. I don't disagree with that in any way, shape or form. He's an absolutely fantastic striker. But he is really in danger of tarnishing his legacy the way that he's been acting. Portugal, another team not happy with the refereeing, an Argentine referee, Facundo Tello. Pepe said afterwards that they can now give the title to Argentina. And the general feeling amongst Portugal was that the referee, being from Argentina, wanted to knock out the only team that could stop Argentina.
3: Or yes. he just wanted to knock out Ronaldo and have Messi as you know, <laughs> the only superstar
1: in the thing. Yeah, Bruno Fernandez went on a bit of a rant as well, but I again I don't really know they they thought they should have had a penalty, which I don't think they should. I I don't know where all these complaints are coming from. It's just frustration boiling over, clearly, but yeah. and more frustration with referee in, in the, the last quarter final. France, England. My voice has started to come back this morning when I recorded the East 5 podcast. My voice had gone from yelling during this game yesterday. And I, I don't know how many English Twitter followers I lost yesterday, probably quite a few, but people just kept sending me GIFs and memes and videos, my Scottish friends, other people as well, so I had to had to put a lot of them up. And I don't know if you saw the what the video I shared this morning, Steve.
3: No, I don't remember it if I saw
1: it. Okay. So it was, it was from a, just a, a fun thing on UK TV from a couple of years ago where Johnny Wilkinson English rugby player, a legend for the England rugby team, he kicked the winning penalty that won England the Rugby World Cup a few oh, years ago. Okay. Gotcha. So, I know where this is going now. It's him and Harry Kane and Harry Kane takes a penalty, slots it in the corner and Johnny Wilkinson goes up to him and says, Harry what are you doing? And it's like what? He's like that's not how you take a penalty. And it's like, but I scored. And it's like, no, no, I'll show you how to do it. So then Johnny Wilkinson takes a kick and sends it over the bar. And Harry Kane's like, You hit it over the bar. And it's like, yeah, but that's how I won a World Cup. Try it. So then Harry Kane takes a penalty and blasts it over the bar. Now that that did not age well no, after just... what he then did. <laughs> yeah. No,
3: this game was this game was uh it was odd. I, think, I felt like England. Sh- I, actually, I felt like England was the better team.
1: Oh, they were. I'll readily yeah. admit that. I, and, I, and, feel, and I think I, I feel they were unlucky. They deserved to win that game.
3: I, 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 honestly, and I also do feel that of all the games that where people were complaining about the ref, this probably had the more. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not worried about it because I didn't want England to go through either. But I feel like this is the one that where they probably had justification. Not, not really any missed penalties. Uh, but there were a lot of fouls in and around the box that mm. were not called. That could have been more free kicks and everything. I like. I felt like France got away with a
1: lot. So you're speaking about the new uh, Scottish Lord Brazilian Wilton Sampaio. <laughs> we we have bought a, a laird ship for him in the Highlands of Scotland, like what, what you and Zach got me. Um, yeah, it was a, an interesting game, and England were the better team, and they should have won. Obviously, I'm happy they didn't. I can enjoy the rest of the World Cup now because I don't care really who wins. And that's
3: usually how I. That's, that's how there's a couple of other leagues where I'm just waiting for that one team to get eliminated, and then I'm fine. I think basketball is one uh, because I was a fan of the Sonics in Seattle, and so whenever Oklahoma City loses, because that's where they moved to, mm. I'm once they're out, I'm, I'm I don't really care about the playoffs anymore.
1: I can totally understand that It's yeah. it's one of those things That I, I spoke about it Before and I, I don't hate England, I don't hate English people One of my best friends in Scotland, Natasha Is English, we had loads of banter Over the years, she was Caitlin's maid of honour at her wedding So it's like, I don't hate English people I've got good English friends, Chris Deal here Good mate of mine And it's still just banter you? Yeah, He well, still does, he's <laughs> one of the few I don't think he's unfollowed me yet And it is just banter, and it's all, it's not the English team even, and I've said this before, I said this during the Euros, this is a very likeable English team, I defy anybody not to like Saka, he is just, like he's one of my favourite players just now, he's such a nice guy off the pitch as well. I. I didn't know this, my Lee that I did these Five podcast with was telling me in the Arsenal documentary last Christmas, he went and bought champagne for all the staff at Arsenal which just says a thank you for all that they do. Yeah. And he just seems such a genuine nice guy and there's a video that was doing the rounds of David Beckham had turned up at training for England and he's talking to, I think it might have been Harry Kane, I'm not sure, And Saka comes up and he's like all nervous and he's like sorry do you mind can I get a photo with you? Just like as if you and me met a famous footballer and we wanted to do that all kind of sheepish. He's just such a nice kid and you want the best for him. And this is a very likeable English team. The problem is the English media. And if no one's experienced it go and check it out at the post reaction to this because it is insane. They're going off on the ref they're going off on this that and the other instead of the fact that they had a chance to tie it and they missed a penalty yeah and they got Uh, two penalties in a game
3: no i know but the one penalty wasn't even that was a clear penalty the second one and the referee didn't even call it so that's where they've said that
1: that that is baffling to me because i was watching it on the couch and like caitlin was beside me not caring and i was like oh that's a penalty. And then I was in my WhatsApp group with my five chums and we were all like, clear penalty, clear penalty. And we couldn't believe it wasn't given. And you see the replay and it's like, it's absolutely blatant. How did you miss that?
3: That was like like going to another sport again, football, American football. Uh, that's like when the, the receiver is about to get it and somebody hits him in the back. That it's a penalty there, so it's definitely a penalty yeah. in, in football itself. Yeah, um, I mean
1: Mount was watching the ball and he just gets clubbed. And the first one was a, a penalty as well. I I could see, I could understand if that you hadn't seen that one right away because it's a tackle. But he did see that. He gave it right away. And it, it yeah. was a clear penalty. Again, no the, arguments there.
3: But what I'm saying is that because of that, the fact that he missed that so blatantly, that that's where people were saying that he just was missing every, Like he was not calling the game properly.
1: Um, well, the big bugbear is about the one that wasn't given in the first half. But it was clearly yeah. the tackle was outside the box. Oh, no,
3: that one that one was outside the box. Anybody could see that. Yeah, and it should have been a free Var, kick though.
1: Yeah, but VAR can't give that free kick. Oh, no, no.
3: No, no, they can't. No, no. But the worst, what they're saying is the referee. Oh, the, yeah, but the referee it. and the yeah. linesman and yeah. the linesman missed it, who, which was very. Clear. And there were a couple of other instances in and around the box where there were. It seemed like there were clear fouls outside the box, but they should nothing was called. So that's where I think a lot of people are commenting on. But you're right, hundred percent. It is the media that makes this team unlikable, and probably. I would say the ten to twenty percent obnoxious fans that you'll find online. Yeah. And maybe in, in the stands and everything, though they're the ones although I didn't see they didn't seem to be very much uh stuff going down this this World Cup. Like no. it seems to be very quiet. Like oh, maybe some stuff in the stands or something like that. But it seemed to be not very much like uh, um rowdiness going on. No,
1: they the own well, there's no alcohol for one thing, which well, that obviously... Made,
3: that clear, it, that clearly shows you the effect of alcohol. Yeah, I mean, it, it fuels
1: football crowds. The, there was a little bit of stuff at the start of the tournament where some people were getting arrested because they were turning up dressed in their Crusades gear in an Arab country. Oh. And it's like, well, you deserve to get oh, arrested. Yeah. You're being an absolute yeah. asshole. Yeah. But like the, the other thing with, with the media as well, the, the English media, before the tournament, They went on so much about, oh, this should never be in Qatar. They shouldn't have it, all the human rights stuff. And then, see, as soon as England started to go on a run and they thought they might win it, that all died down. And it was just talking about the football aspect of it. And now that England's out, watch them bring it all back to the forefront again. So they're very two-faced that way. The English media is just absolutely horrible. And because UK TV, although we have our regional variations... You do get a lot of the national coverage. So on BBC, you've got the English-based commentators and the English-based panel, and the same on ITV for the, these games as well. But anyway, let's move on to the game. Aurelian, Tuchemeni, opened the score in the 17th minute. Absolutely beautiful finish. Textbook finish in the bottom corner. Nothing a keeper could do about that. Except and...
3: for Kel- Kilban in halftime, who said that keeper should have had that.
1: Yeah, I, I've got to say, him and Caldwell did look very happy after the match. There was that one moment Caldwell was asking a question. He's got a big grin on his face. No, but, no, but like
3: during halftime, he was mentioned. I think it was halftime. Yeah, it was halftime. I, I, I did Band, listen to him at Kill Kilban has, Kill Band has a, like a, a, a big issue with like any time a goalie can't stop it, he seems to blame the goalie every time. It was like, it's it Caldwell's saying, that's an impossible save for a goalie. He goes, it's not impossible. He, he could have done it. Better of it. A good keeper would have saved it. He said, "A good keeper
1: would no, have saved it. no way. I don't that, know what that was about. that was like one of those penalties that's just textbook in the corner. You're not going to get to that unless you're yeah. an absolutely gigantic keeper that's got a big reach. Yeah, I
3: don't, I don't think Pickford's that tall. I think he's maybe six mm. six one at the most.
1: I, I, I yelled quite loudly during that. I think I gave my dog Annie quite a start. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I hurt my throat as well my my townhouse complex were having their Christmas get together from 11 to 1 I it's like the guy is a big football fan, I don't know why he picked World Cup Saturday to do it at 11 to 1 when the England-France game's on so at half time I nipped over, got the free coffee and pastries and snacks at the had and brought it all back for the second half so I didn't see the right. half time show but I see after that goal France just fell out of the game as yeah. any sort of attacking threat, and they their defending was shaky as fuck, and it was just a matter of when, not if England were going to score. It's like they they were going to score at some point in this game.
3: Yeah, for sure. And, and they were buzzing around. They, they had multiple chances um, near the end of the first half and beginning of the second half, and then the penalty, like you said, a, cl- a very clumsy tackle. Yeah, in, in the box.
1: And it was the goal scorer, many that gave it away. But that was the 54th minute. It was tied at one apiece. And at that stage, I thought, you know what? England's going to go on and win this. And they deserved to with the way that we're playing. But then the goal finally kicked France up the ass. And they, they found a way to string passes and be attacking again. They'd obviously kind of just taken their foot off the gas a little bit. They should have gone for the jugular. They should have gone for the second. And uh, yeah. put the game to bed instead of making it what they did. But what a great finish by Giroud, putting the French back ahead with twelve minutes to go. And it was it was a good finish after that. Five minutes later, though, I mean that was that was like I have no idea what Theo Hernandez was doing with that tackle as we talked about. Well, but
3: it's it's funny though. In one angle, it kind of does look like he's going shoulder to shoulder. And I think that's what he was trying to do. He just mm. missed. Like, he, he maybe that was the angle the, the
1: ref had there. I don't know. I,
3: I, I think he was looking at the ball as well. So maybe he misjudged where his back was and where his shoulder was. That's my only guess. Because I agree that I don't think as a proper defender, you would do something like that. Because you're definitely going to get caught. Because he was even saying to the referee, no, I hit him in the shoulder. So maybe he didn't even realize what he did. Mm.
1: Done. I'd, I'd love to, to have a chat. With a referee, whether an MLS ref or one of these refs that's been involved in VAR, because I wonder, because you know that you've got VAR and you know that you've got that as a backup, that if you make a mistake for a penalty, it's going to get picked up by VAR. Yeah. Does that make them maybe not as switched on, not as focused, not as lightly... If they've got any doubt in their mind, just not to give it because they'll be like, oh, I'll let VAR decide if it was a penalty no, I mean, or not.
3: A I remember I interviewed that referee, I can't remember. I Howard what Webb his name was, uh, yeah, th- no, no, I didn't. Re- was it Howard? Yeah, you spoke uh, to Howard time? Webb. Oh, I, I could remember his name, I, I, I was drawing a blank there. Uh, yeah, that would have been a good question to ask him, but at that, that time it was very new, VAR, so we wouldn't. Mm. Uh, it's good to know now, like years later, do referees do team, seem to. Not pay attention as much Or, or, or just not worried about it Because they know VAR is going to let them off Or maybe well, they're more dialed Would they be more dialed in because they don't want to be called up By the VAR referee
1: Yeah there's that aspect to it as well Two, two pre-seasons ago MLS had Ishmael Elfath available For a call which I, I was on I got to ask him some stuff we, we brought you the audio of that on the show And that was, that was fascinating Because you just don't get a chance to sit down With a referee Yeah uh, maybe actually I'll reach out to Pro and see if there's anyone that I, I you should talk to. you to. Should,
3: you should talk to Drew Fisher, because he's in the VAR. Of, he was in the VAR quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I have
1: criticised him quite a lot.
3: He, I don't think he's read the articles or anything. I think he wouldn't know.
1: What, one, one of the memes that was going around after the England game was the VAR room. And it was a Scottish flag, an Irish flag, and a Welsh flag above <laughs> the three people that were sitting doing the, the VAR decisions. But yeah, apparently, Harry Kane missed it over the bar. I think it's still in orbit somewhere. And Mbappe's face, her shift's kiss, that has now become the go to picture for so many of my friends in Scotland as their Facebook and social media profiles of him just going, yes! Yeah,
3: I, 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 and then there was that Rashford uh, free kick at the end that came very close. Oh, that was so close. That was, that was very close. I The one thing that I thought in my head was, were the Twitter people going to be blaming Rashford more than Kane because of the colour of his skin and everything? Well, that that, that was the thing,
1: because I I was like, I wonder how... I'm sure somebody will measure this. Now, I I am not condoning abuse for any player on on social media. I would just like to point this out. Whether they're English or not, whether I don't like the team or not, you should not be abusing... Players on social media atting them. You can make a comment about what you think, just don't at them. I've said this before; it pisses yeah, me off no sure. end. But I'd, I'd love it if somebody could work out how much abuse Kane got to say the likes of Saka in the, the back, back of the Euros. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, it's it'd be interesting to see that this how how many messages of abuse a white guy got as opposed to a, a black guy for for missing the penalty. I think we know the answer. But it would be nice to actually see the the numbers of that. But I mean, it, it's the most English way to crash out for World Cup penalties of of some sort, either a shootout or or missing this.
3: Yeah, and then it's, it's, it, you were talking you were talking about you know you don't hate them and everything, but it's like that little brother mentality. Yeah, it's similar to us in the in the US, Canada. Well, oh, yeah. US, whenever it's it's fun to watch them like fall out, no matter what Canada's results are, it's good to see them fall away when they give you disappointed.
1: Yeah, and as a lot of the English folk on Twitter reminded me, it's like, well, where is Scotland? You have to be in it to get knocked out of it. I I pointed out that we boycotted for ethical reasons, and we have boycotted the last six FIFA World Cups for ethical reasons. That's my excuse, and I am sticking to it. Um, Sam Matterface, who is the commentator for ITV in England, when the penalty got taken, and apparently he's had a lot of criticism for this, he said, England needed Gary Lineker, but they got Chris Waddle. Because Waddle missed a famous penalty, I think in Italian 90. Oh, okay. um, so basically saying that they needed this hero and said they got this numpty that missed a penalty. And he's been criticised for it, but I thought that's a, that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. Um, last thing on the England game. There's been a lot of debate. Should Southgate stay? Should he go? He's got them relegated from the Nations League. He's got them knocked out of the World Cup. So naturally, I think he should stay for the the next Euro cycle.
3: Well, if I'm if I'm England uh, from a neutral standpoint, um, I would say that he like he's gone through the World Cup, Euros, and now another World Cup. Hmm. I think they need a change of uh, kind of a voice in the room. I would actually say that they need somebody like something non-English at this point. Like I would say even like a Brazilian type of coach. So because if you look at them they they got like a very deep and um, wide ranging type of attack, like going forward, like at their attackers and they just need to shore up their back, their, their, their defense. And Brazil is very good at that where they have a very solid defense and they're very good in the attack. Like, like it's, it's a very like kind of, they have both things. Like if you look at the uh, Brazilian games so far in this tournament, they've been like that all the time. So I would say they need something like that. I don't know if they will get that or they give South, well, South see, maybe another Euro or something yeah, like that, but they need the th- something different.
1: That's the thing with the English media again. It's a lot of the old boys club and they want an English coach and a lot of the English fans. It has to be an English manager. I could not give a toss where the Scotland manager came from as long as he can yeah. take us to a World Cup. And it's it's like fair to ask the question for Southgate as it's fair to ask the question for John Herdman: Have they taken this group of players as far as they can take them, or is there still something more left in their tank?
3: Yeah, for sure. I for me, like, it's just they just it could be an English voice, but they need somebody that is gives more freedom or more ingenuity to the attackers and 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 put the best players on the pitch. I I I question some of this election sometimes. I, I don't know how you have somebody score three goals in like 100 minutes and he's not a starter like yeah. Mar- like Marcus rashford is one like why is he coming off the bench when he's showing that he can score goals at this level so that's kind of some of the things I I question because other teams have seen somebody come off the bench score a couple goals and he starts in the next game that guy does so why isn't it happening they don't they shouldn't have a, a set starting 11.
1: yeah so semifinals are set Tuesday. It's going to be Croatia versus Argentina Wednesday. It's France v. Morocco. I, I put a poll up on Twitter and we got 208 votes in it, which was pretty darn good. Just a 24-hour poll asking who, who did you think was going to make it into the final? Was it going to be Argentina-France, Argentina-Morocco, Croatia-France, Croatia-Morocco? So the poll 50% had Argentina, France, which I think everyone's head that's what you're yeah. kind of going with really just now. Then it was very close to other ones Croatia, Morocco, which I think is everyone's heart talking more over their head, had 18%, and then 16% each for Croatia, France, and Argentina, Morocco. Oh, really? Wow. But, I genuinely think these two semifinals are too close to call with what we've seen in this tournament so far.
3: Yeah, for me, uh, Argentina, Croatia. It all depends on uh, how does Argentina like like uh, do they go all out against Croatia or do they uh, like? In uh, both games, to. actually, you have to. Yeah, I, it's 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 going to be odd. Like for me, I, like the best player on the pitch is obviously Messi. Um, out of on both teams, but Modric is you know probably a second. Um, and but Messi can make more happen in the attacking zone than Modric can for me in the midfield. And if they can break through that midfield, and uh, like I would really try to overload the midfield and try to neutralize Croatia's strength at that point. See if they can get through that.
1: It, it, it's going to be a, a close one. It, you hope that Croatia don't just focus too much on Messi. Yeah. And I know he's a guy, just give him a, an inch and he'll he'll take a mile. But uh, I think this is, I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. No. I, I, I you can't,
3: can't play pretty if they're going to win. Yeah,
1: I, actually I don't think either of these games is going to be pretty games. And no. you're going to have one team bossing stuff possession-wise and another team sitting back defending and just trying to keep them at bay. So it it's the old attack of defensive. And defensive football can... It can be fun, but I know for some people it just really switches them off. Some of the comments we got, Peter Seward said that he'd love a Croatia-Morocco final and a, a lot of folk have made a point of if it was Croatia and Morocco then you're basically looking at the two teams that came out of Canada's group being in the final. And we had a little chat about this on, on our WhatsApp group and you and me are on the same page. Zach, so he doesn't care about that. But I, I think for the non hardcore national team fan, I think that's quite a big statement to them.
3: It is. And uh, I've already had friends and family mention that. Like, without me even trying to bring it up or anything like that, they mentioned it themselves. Hey, these guys are the same guys that kind of played. And they didn't they didn't play half bad. Like, I guess Morocco, remember there was just like that big mistake by Borean? Yep. And, and and obviously Croatia,
1: they, they were chasing the game, and then they just left too much space.
3: Croatia, don't get me started on Croatia. Why they lost that game? Because I'm still not over that. Still, I think uh, that because look at the way they played since then, they haven't yeah. like beat anybody horribly because they were motivated that game. This just shows how much motivated they were to beat Canada and and really like drill it into Canada. So uh, I think it could have been a two-one game, and I think that's it. It would have been against Canada. It didn't have to be four-one, but again. Like it just shows that Canada wasn't that far off. I feel. I still feel like they weren't. They're not that far off.
1: They just no. I think a bit, smarter, a bit, a bit less naivety, and yeah, yeah. and
3: formation. Uh, just a better formation. Like not having two people up top and having an extra player in the midfield would have helped that out.
1: Yeah, because Angus Walker had made the point that it would be great to think that Canada was knocked out by the two finalists, and and it would be a, a good story. But also in 2018. Uh, It has to be pointed out, England and Belgium were in the same group, and they both made the semis. And the other two teams in that group were Panama and Tunisia, And they've not exactly gone on to, like, set the heather on fire and and have great stuff after that. Yeah, but France were taking it a little bit easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Smoke City would like Argentina-Morocco or Croatia-Morocco. Or Argentina, France, Croatia, France, in that order. He said it's both head and heart. I think Morocco has the best defence in the tournament. And I think Argentina have the maturity and grit to deal with Croatia. Rick Haaland wants to see Croatia, Morocco, because you're guaranteed a first time champion. And that's what I like about that as well. I'd like yeah. a new name on the Cup. I think that would be good for world football. I think that is what the sport needs.
0: Yeah,
3: for sure. 100%. It'd be nice. There's a lot of different t- types of storylines. Uh, for me, like obviously, you got the Argentina storyline of Messi winning the World Cup. That will stop me from using that um, that argument that maybe he's not the best player because he hasn't won the World mm. Cup. If he wins it, then I don't, I can't make that argument anymore. I, I so, can't
1: begrudge him getting a World Cup as well because yeah. of what he's done. And the only thing I haven't liked him, he always throws these hissy fits. Off, I'm going to retire from international football, and then he keeps coming back. And
0: yeah,
3: exactly. Um, um, the Croatia Like you said The Croatia Is a great story They've been like In there In the tournaments Late in the tournaments Multiple times And so that's That's a great story. France obviously being The first two time winner In years I can't remember The last time it's happened Maybe in the 70s Or something like that I can't remember Brazil did it win- Brazil win- did it?
1: back to back Yeah
3: In the 70s right
1: If uh, I want to say Or was it 58? 94 98
3: No no 98 France won
1: I was going to say 58 and 62
3: Oh, I thought they won twice in a row in the seventies. Well, maybe it was the fifties then. Yeah, so France, you know, winning it twice in a row—that's an interesting story. Um, obviously, Morocco being the first Arab team slash African team yeah. to win it—that'd be fantastic. It. So each team kind of has that storyline out, out of yeah. you know it, it's a great like something great can happen with them winning. So it's not. I I personally, I would I I not that I don't hate I hate Morocco, but Morocco for me might be. A touch boring in the final. I I don't know, or or they just the the, the spotlight gets to them and it's a complete blowout. Like yeah. and, and I'm worried about them being in the final the first time. Um, I think France could easily like they they they're really like thin. Um, they're like uh, I think somebody was mentioning they don't have very much off the bench and everything like that. So they by the time the final comes around they could get blown out too. So I'm really concerned about that side of the bracket.
1: Yeah, well. But... What I've said when I've been doing commentary this year uh, on various semi-finals and finals and stuff is if you're a team, if you're a player, you want to not feel that you you didn't give your all and that you left something on the table. And I feel if a team's going to go out too defensive and not go for it, you're going to have that regret. And at this stage, you can't have that regret. Now, they could have regret of going for it and then leaving space at the back and being punished, of course, but... Yeah, I don't know, but I I mean, it's been a good tournament, I've really enjoyed it, I think I've enjoyed it more than I was expecting to enjoy it, and obviously the off-pitch stuff aside, the on-pitch stuff, the action has been great, and we, we talked about this as well on our East 5 podcast this morning, I haven't hated a Winter World Cup, I've actually quite liked it at this time of year.
3: I'm not a big fan of it, only because that it interrupts the season. Yeah, that's been... that's the downside. Never... But it's horrible weather a...
1: outside, so you just you're and yeah. watching football.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I've never been a big fan of like the. But for you, summer's not that great either. So you probably stay indoors in the summer. Yeah, well. I, yeah. I try I try not go <laughs> um, out at all. Really. <laughs> um, but but what I'm saying is like it. It. I, I felt like some of the teams weren't at their best because of that, and I, I I think I feel like um they need that one month to be together as a team. And you get, uh, uh, but that th- that's might be the reason why we got so many upsets too, because those teams weren't ready to go.
1: Yeah, actually very, very possible. But I- I'll last comment, I'll just leave to Greg Ollison. He says, there's an obvious answer of the classic strong matchup. It's what you want in the final. You want the two best teams to the players from around the world that's well known, which would obviously be Argentina and France. And then there's the heart, what that wants, which is Croatia-Morocco. He voted for his head, but he wants and declares that it's his heart. And I think that's probably where a lot of people are just now. You want a great final. And I think a great final would be Argentina-France, because I think both teams would go for it. And a Croatia-Morocco final, they both can't defend in that, so someone's got to go for it. So maybe that would be better than we're thinking. Who knows? But yeah. We'll be back with our next show, looking ahead to that final. And we'll have Zach on it as well, talking about his World Cup experiences. That is it, though, for our World Cup chat. We've got one more part to go. We're going to turn our attention to the domestic scene again. And we're going to talk a little bit about Whitecaps, a little bit about CF Montreal. And we're going to bring you number 11 in our festive 15. Hey, I'm Julian
2: Grussell, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio. And kicking off this part, it's number 11 in our festive 15. A band that so many people have told me I needed to check out and I only got around to checking them out this year. Vancouver's Own, Bishop's Green. That's a song taken from their 7-track EP Black Skies that came out this year and that was Empty Streets. And thank you for everyone for putting them on my radar. I've really liked what I've heard from them this year. Hope to go and see them play as well right up my street. A punk and oi band from here in Vancouver, BC. Want to chat just a little bit in this part about some MLS news and rumours and bring you a little bit of audio in this part as well. So there, there's some Whitecaps rumours going around this week, Steve. Derek Cornelius does not look like he's gonna get his option picked up by the Greek club, but it looks okay. that he's gonna be heading to Sweden to join okay. Malmo.
3: And it's a transfer or
1: It's no, a transfer. No. The White Caps will get some money.
3: Excellent. Good. Um I guess Malmo's a uh... I I would say uh, like a sideways move from Greece, or what do you think?
1: I think that's an improvement because Malmo's in the Champions League. Yeah, Malmo's in the Champions League or at least the Europa League every single year. No, I'm. So he's going to get that experience.
3: Yeah, but I'm talking about league wise. Like Uh, how strong. Yeah,
1: the Greek league. I would maybe argue is just a little bit better.
3: Okay. but the club itself is The club itself, the Malmo's
1: club. always winning stuff. They're always there or thereabouts. They're okay. in European competition. This will be so good for Derek's uh, just development with a, a look ahead. Yeah, and
0: hopefully
3: he's there it. as a starter, not a depth player. That's yeah. what I'm just hoping for. He's there for starting.
1: And according to, to Glass City that had been talking about this, the Whitecaps could get about a million in gam from this as well.
3: That's good. Well, yeah, if it's... Uh, there's a certain percentage. Mm-hmm. That would be, so I think it's 66% or something like that. So, I
1: mean, hopefully oh. that can be used to get in a top striker that that they're needing. And I, if we can get one from within the league, maybe even dangle a little player it, out there as well. If
3: if it is 66 I would say that they're getting a million and a half in the transfer. Mm. That's my guess it would be.
1: But yeah, that's the, that's the main Whitecaps news. It's been a little bit quiet in the Whitecaps front. Vancouver FC moving away from MLS just quickly it's going to be draft day this week so Vancouver FC will get to the first two picks in the, the draft and there could be some former whitecaps that's on their radar as they bring that in but the main thing we want to talk about in this part is CF Montreal again and it was official Ishmael Coney's move to championship side Watford in England It was confirmed, rumours that the transfer fee is 8 to 10 million US for Montreal it's a, it's a great bit of business by the club who obviously brought Coney up from the amateur ranks playing with CS San Laurent and yeah. he's just taken this opportunity with both hands playing in, in all three games at the World Cup and what a rise. Like stratospheric, meteoric rise for, for Coney. Still 20 years old as well. Amazing. He's the second national team player now to, to go to Europe after the World Cup after Alistair Johnston This year in MLS, he made 68,000, just over 68,000. And now he signed a a four-and-a-half-year deal to go and play in England.
3: Yeah, you should definitely see an increase in that with those wages.
1: Yeah. Montreal this week put Ishmael Coney up for a a little bit of a a farewell chat to media. So I jumped on that call, got to ask Ishmael a question as well. So I'm going to bring you the, the English part of that conference call as well, as we just hear from Canadian national team player, a new Watford FC player, Ishmael Coney.
4: There's so much we want to ask you, but but can you just talk? Uh, obviously, I mean, it's a two-part question. Just what is is? What does this mean to you to be going over to Europe? And and how would you assess? Uh, the World Cup, where you came off the bench all three games. The experience of that.
5: Uh first I'll say it's um, it's it's encouraging for me to finally make the jump to go to Europe because I always wanted to play in Europe. Uh, the biggest leagues, the the Champions League, the um, the Europa League. This is where it's played in Europe. So, you know, me as a competitor, I wanted to to move to Europe to give myself to. Finally one day playing those competitions. So, you know, it's uh it's a, uh, I'm proud of it. I'm extremely proud of myself to finally make the jump and I'll keep working as always and just going higher, like I said. But uh for the World Cup, I have to say it's been amazing. The group we had, the energy we had, the the brotherhood that we had, it was it was unbelievable. Um, you know, we didn't get the result we wanted. But we got to experience something we never experienced before. This country has never been in a World Cup since 36 years. So I think we should be proud of what we've done. We came, we showed, we showed that we have character and we showed up fearless. And uh, there's a lot of good things to take to uh, 2026. 20, so looking forward to that. It's it's uh, it's good for us. So this is what I'll say about the World Cup. Uh, congratulations on, on everything. I, I
1: wanted to ask you a little bit. To take your way back before your Montreal days. When you were playing for CS San Laurent, you won the bronze medal with that team. This year they went on and, and won the gold medal. Can you talk a little bit about your development time there, how important they were to you, to that development? And you've kind of blazed a trail now, really, for guys that play in teams like that to show that you don't have to be in an MLS academy to make it
5: at the top level of the game here in Canada? 100%. 100%. Um, I think it's all about wanting it more than everybody and just going out there and work. But like you said, I went to Saint-Laurent and it's all about getting the help that you need and the right people to give you the the guidance and the help that you need and you have to get at that certain age. Um, for me, Saint-Laurent was the turning point because I had coaches that, were, that had that mind I wanted to helped me reach higher level. I was good, but I need to be great to reach reach this level. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned in Saint Laurent and forever be grateful to those people that gave me the guidance that I needed. But yeah, I think it's, you don't have to be in MLS Academy or whatsoever to make a pro. It's just putting the work that you need, realizing what's your weakness and what's your strength and just working on those things and keep improving as a player every single day. So that's it.
4: Ismail, well, uh, congratulations on the transfer. Uh, two quick ones for you. First one, I mean, what, what kind of celebrations have you had
1: since uh, since learning that it was uh, official and that you'd be going over with your family and stuff? I'd just like to know what you did there. And uh, uh, secondly, um, what do you think playing on CF Montreal this year and the success that this time had this year did to actually get you to this point? Because I imagine if CF Montreal didn't play as well to, as they did this year, it might not have been uh, as quick of a transfer as uh, as you were hoping for so I just want to know what uh, what being a part of that team meant to your progression this season
5: uh, but first of all, my f- I haven't had time really to celebrate I'll say that because it was very fast and I'd, we just got back to Montreal so you know I'll say my first celebration was when me and my mom and my agent went to dinner um, we sat down and spoke about the, where we were and where we're at now and you know the highs and lows that we had in our career, because I say it's our career, because you know that's my mom and that's my agent. They helped me to move up, so you know I'll say that was the small celebration I had, and it's all, it's all I needed, honestly. I had a moment with my friends as well in Qatar, because they knew I was going there. Uh, we celebrated in my room in Qatar, so you know it was those type of moments. It's really all I need, and it was it was cool. But uh, for Montreal, I mean, it was it helped me a lot. To to move to to a higher team to get a move as fast. Um but you know, I think I played my role as well. But the team helped me so much. The the teammates I had, the the group that we had, the the coach that we had, you know, everybody around was on the mission and we all knew what we were able to do. And uh, we blocked the outside nose and we just focused on ourselves. So, you know, it was I'm grateful for that team. Uh I'll say it again, even at the end of my career, I'm grateful because they, not even the club, but the teammates, my teammates helped me to, to have a platform in a professional world. So, you know, it was, uh, I'm happy. I'm really happy.
3: You know, why is Watford the right move for you? What were those talks like with them before the deal was
2: done In and then kind of explaining their project and their plan for you?
5: Uh, actually, really in French, it's just the project of reselling. It's very uh, interesting. I wouldn't say interesting. It's very good. Uh, they've. I don't know if you check, but uh, they've sold a lot of players to Europe, like Richarlison and, and uh, Bruno Fernandez and you know all those players. So you know, it's it's uh it's encouraging for me to go there because they have the right platform. And as I spoke to them, the project was really for me to come there and develop my potential as much and become the top talent I can be, and just hopefully move to a higher team. So. Yeah, it was just the project was good. And I felt like they really wanted me from the owner to the to the staff. It was just we want you here. We want you to come and perform and excel at our club. We'll give you the right tools that you need. So it was it was a win-win for both of us.
2: Um, And, and then just one more, just kind of a big picture.
3: This year has been insane for you. You know, you, you had your breakout with Montreal, debuted for Canada, went to the World Cup and now. Have this kind of life changing career move to go to Watford. You know,
4: big picture. What has it been like for you?
5: Crazy. Crazy. Uh, I'll say roller coaster. But uh it was fun, man. It's fun and it's all about it's it's football. It's football. And going to this life I knew I was getting myself into. But like I said, I wasn't expecting it to be that fast. But it's the game and it's it's how it's how it's going to be, how it's always will be. So I have to adapt, you know, I'm in Montreal now, I'm at home, but I will leaving to go to London to play my football. So, you know, I have to adapt as well. But I'm happy. It's what I wanted. It's the life I wanted for myself. And hopefully I could keep moving higher and higher and higher.
1: Uh, quick question. Obviously, uh, you guys ticked off one box by, by scoring a goal at uh, in Qatar, but you, you've, you've yet to earn a point. But that's uh, that. That goal can move forward for four years. But obviously, with this move for you, can you please
5: uh, come again? I didn't hear you will.
1: Sorry. Obviously, you, you you ticked off one box by scoring a goal at the World Cup, uh, but yeah. unfortunately, you, you couldn't uh, get a get a point or a win. But obviously, four years time, you're going to be ho- the World Cup will be Canada, Mexico, the U.S. Is this move and Alistair Johnston moving to Celtic? Is it the start of Canada moving forward and and building towards that World Cup?
5: Hundred percent. 100%. But I think we started moving forward as soon as we dedicated our minds to be a World Cup players in a World Cup country. Uh, but the fact that me and Ali and obviously other players are already moving to Europe, it helps us a lot. You know, we're playing uh, at a higher pace. We're playing uh, with uh, different players, more quality. And, you know, it's those type of things that help us win those type of competition those type of games. So you could see that when we went into into those games against Croatia, against Belgium, and even Morocco, it was just those details where we needed to be more aware. And you could see that we were lacking. I wouldn't say lacking, but we needed more experience in those type of games. But it's it's a reality, and we're ready to face it, and we know what we need to work on, and we know we need to improve. But obviously, yeah, 100%. For me, to Ali, to whoever play is going to move in the coming months, it's... it's a it's a development. It's a movement to where we want to be as a country.
4: Uh, I just wanted to ask you the challenges that you're facing both on and off the pitch. On the pitch, you're joining a team that's already started. Uh, so how tough is it to come in midstream and, and off the pitch? I mean, you're, you're still only 20 years old. I'm, I'm guessing this is the first time you're going to be living on your own.
5: It won't be the first time I went on trial in Belgium not to, in 2020 by myself so I'm kind of used to it but it'll be better this time cuz it was I'm not going on trial I'm going to play and I'm going to help a team move to a higher level and there'll be people around me to help me so you know that'll be good um and what do you say again? Sorry.
4: Well, on, on the pitch, you're, you're going to a team that's already established and has started its season. So what what's that challenge like for yeah. you moving from, yeah. M- not only that, but going from MLS to European soccer?
5: Well, going to MLS to European soccer will be, a, will be different, you know, higher pace, um, more physical, um, different players, you know, players, that are used to this to this level, so it'll be it'll be a challenge for me, obviously. But this is where I want to be. Um, but going to on the pitch, uh, it's the first time for me moving from MLS to 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 European team. So I just have to get used to it. Is I I don't have an answer for you. It's just I'll go out there and give my best, and then we'll see what the outcome will be.
1: Great stuff there from Ishmael Coney, just talking about his move, a little bit chat about the World Cup, and also his development as well, coming from CS San Laurent. I want to give a big thanks as well to Gavino from IMFC Radio. My record on the Zoom would just not work, and I spent so long trying to get it to work, I wasn't even listening to some of the answers that Ishmael was given till afterwards. I just couldn't get it to work, but Gavino saved the day, sent me his audio, so thank you so much. Really appreciate that. So check out I am FC Radio as well, especially if you speak French, because it's in French. But it's a it's a big move for Coney Steve. It's been such a, a fast rise for him. It's gonna be a big change for him then, but I think it's a good move. Because he's going to London, but not really London, because Watford's on the outskirts of London. A, a young lad. hes it's not the first time he's been away from home. He went over to have trials in Belgium. So he's been over in Belgium for a while on his own, away from his family. But this is his first permanent move to a club away from Canada, away from his family. And although it's close to London, he hasn't got the trappings that London bring. But he seems a guy that his head's screwed on. I don't think fame's going to go to his head. And this is his dream. This is what he's wanted. He's a guy that seems to have his feet on the ground. And I think he'll do well there. And he's got a good coach in Slavin Bilic, who I adored as a, a player. I wish he was still at West Ham, to be honest. I I really liked him as West Ham boss. And I think I think he'll learn a lot there and his rise, I just I think he could be one of the best players that Canada's produced up there with Alfonso Davies. Yeah.
3: For sure. And the thing is is going into like a team like in the championship, you'll like MLS isn't like has a Physical type league, but if you are going into the championship, you are going to be getting ready for physical play. Like you, you can probably speak better to that than I can. But it's known for its physicality, and it will help coney uh, uh, kind of develop that part of his game for him, so he can bring it to the national league. And I think Watford, uh, looking at this you know the table and everything, Watford's right now in fifth spot, um, and not comfortably in fifth, but they're in fifth spot, uh, and it, they're in in possible a chance for a promotion and i'm wondering does that mean that Coney play do you think Coney would play in the premier league next year if they got uh, I, um promoted or do you so. think they load him, load him down the championship to get more playing time then
1: well i mean he's got the rest of the season to prove his worth and i i think yeah. definitely like i don't know that will be a starter uh, in premier league he could be a guy that comes off the bench for sure. Uh,
3: I'm just wondering, like, I'm wondering, like, does that, like, because I know, like, when you get a bump up into the Premier League, you get a lot of money, of influx of money. Yes. So you, you, you transfer, bringing a lot of transfers in. So a lot of players that were on the championship side yes. really don't But it doesn't always
2: work
1: if you look at Nottingham Forest. No. But, I mean, the yeah. championship is such a good level. I I watch the championship highlights. I download them out every week. Uh, I've done it for years. It's my, aside from whatever league Wimbledon's in, which I take a lot of interest in, obviously. It's my favourite league to watch in England. It's just so, so much good football, top quality football, so competitive and so much to play for as well. And it's been spoiled a couple of times in recent years because of the parachute payments, meaning that the teams that come down just have a big advantage over the others. But this year it's shaping up to be a really good battle. Watford, I think they were fourth up until this weekend even. It um, their fifth right now I think they drew Yeah today, I think you know, yeah own, I think so. they went down after this weekend so yeah I, I there's think a so. lot of, there's a, there's
3: a lot of games to play because I think they play 46 games because there's 20 to 24 teams in the league so they and they only played 22 so still a lot of games to go like, uh, more yeah. than half the season
1: He's going to join them from January 1st so I wish yeah. him all the very best he's a great guy and it's another great move for Canadian football and as John Herdman has kept saying he wants and needs these players tier to be ones. playing in the top league, tier one leagues. I know this is technically a tier two league, but it's right up there. It's yeah, it's a close. very, very good league. But that is it for our football chat on the show. We can't finish, though, without this episode's wavelength. And we're continuing our World Cup songs. This is more a general World Cup song, though, as opposed to a nation. And it's friends of the show, Goldie Luke, and Chain who I had tweeted, are you bringing out a World Cup song this year? Thinking they would do one for Wales. A couple of days later, this one dropped. And I've got to say, when you hear it, you'll probably think, that's not a very good song. But it is an earworm, and it's actually really good, and this will stick in your head. This is from Newport Wales, goldy-looking chain, football. football, football, football. (laughs) chain football 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 and that is it for this shorter than usual AFTN soccer show we wanted to get in all our stuff about the World Cup for the quarterfinals before the semis give you guys a couple of days to listen to this we hope to be back with a a midweek show as well and hope to have Zach on it chatting about his trip to Qatar all the ins and outs from accommodation stadium transport merchandise the Atmosphere, Canada Games, we've got a lot to cover. Might bring some out in the extra podcast as well, so a good reason to subscribe to that as well. Just before we go, though, Steve, where can folk find you online? Any final thoughts or goodbyes or any comments you want to make?
3: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Whitecapspeed, and once again, not really, I don't, with regret of all passing anything, everything, but I just want to send another shout-out to him and his family and friends and everything like that, uh, just condolences to them. Um, yeah, definitely a, a big voice in soccer lost this week.
1: Yeah, I I was saying to my my wife, it's like, and I know this can it happens in all walks of life, but if you're the partner and your husband husband's just gone away to work and he's working overseas and then he doesn't come home, it's just I just can't imagine what, what yeah. they are going oh. through. So yeah, I think that that's my final thought as well. Just all the best to to Celine family and friends, a Grant, he was a great guy, a great soccer writer, his presence will be so, so felt and missed in North American soccer circles and world soccer circles as well, rest in peace Grant, you're one of the good guys. Until next time everyone, thanks for listening, take care and Ali LaRouge.